My name is Todd. I'm excited to be here with you. And uh, we are in the midst of a series. Uh, the series is on the Apostles' Creed. And in preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of a story um, from seminary. Um, I went to a seminary in Dallas, and one of my buddies uh, was in charge of uh, leading a regular worship service for the nursing home that was very close to the seminary. And um, one Sunday, he could not be there, so he said, hey, would you be interested in, in doing this, uh, leading the service, putting together all the order of the worship service, and then preaching the sermon, and, and all of that. And I said, sure, I'll do it. I've never done anything like that before. And I put it all together, and um, part of that was me saying, having us say the Apostles' Creed. And so we got into the, the service, and um, it seemed like everything um, went wrong. <laughs> I mean, for starters, there was a, a woman who, who got sick at the beginning of the service, so all the helpers had to come in and clean up the mess that happened. And I was like, oh my goodness, here we go. And, and then we got into, uh, through the service, and we started to say the Apostles' Creed, and, and before we did that, um, there's, there's some really interesting lines in the Apostles' Creed. For one, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And so um, there were some people there, and I said, okay, before we say this, I want to talk to you about what we mean by the word Catholic. And we're not really talking about this today, but it means universal, and we'll see that in, in our bulletin when we say that. And so I said that, and I said, okay, now let's say this together. And a gentleman, as we said, uh, said that particular verse after I taught on it, he got up and left. He goes, I'm not standing for this. This is Roman Catholic. You know? I was like, oh my gosh, Okay. And then I started to preach, and then everybody's asleep, and uh, so I'm watching you guys today if you fall asleep, because this is taking me back to that day. Um, so um, as we say this every week, I appreciate what Pat had to say about kind of our, our worship and our liturgy, and as we think about what we do, and it sometimes becomes very rote. I remember growing up in church, our saying, the Apostles' Creed, and um, it's something that for a long time, as I kind of thought it was cool. And then I kind of thought, mm, it's not so cool. We say the same things every week. And to say it over and over again, it becomes very, as Pat said, rote. And, and I think coming back into that tradition here now, I see a real beauty to that, though. And I was able to stop and reflect upon a lot of positives of our saying this over and over again. So I, I am going to challenge you guys in your community groups this week to think about what are the positives of, of our saying that together. And even for me, as we say these things, um, I want to be totally transparent and say that I wrestle sometimes with just saying the things and then actually believing the things. And that my heart is up and down in terms of saying versus believing. And I would venture to guess that you might feel the same way. Maybe about some of the things that we say in the passage. And the reason I say that is because if your life is anything like mine, the reflection of what I say in that text, in that creed, does not seen in my life. Right? So I, all cards on the table, um, this is, these words are a good reminder, not just to my mind, but to my heart as we think about them. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the word suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. So those are our phrases for today. And the text we're going to use comes to us from John 19. And uh, if you have your pew Bibles, that's on page 905. I'll refer to some of the context there in the passage. Um, and from this statement, we see John 
recording the last words of Jesus from the cross. Now, there are some other gospels that will see Jesus say some more things, but I think it's really interesting to focus on what John records of Jesus there on the cross. And in so doing, we're going to think about suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, as we look at those things. What comes right in the middle of him suffering under Pontius Pilate, literally in the text, him being crucified and him dying and being buried, okay? And so what we're gonna see today is what happened by our saying those words, why those things happened and how those things affect our lives. By our saying, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. So let me pray for us as we start off with our uh, sermon today. Dear Lord, we do thank you for um, your word here. Thank you, Lord, that... um, what is in your word means something uh, for us even today. Help us to have, uh, as we prayed earlier, eyes to see and ears to hear how your spirit is moving us here even this morning. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. So what happened? What do we believe happened in our saying, Jesus suffered, he was crucified, he, was, he died, and he was buried? And what happened is that Jesus suffered to the utmost, Jesus suffered to the utmost. We say in our passage, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And it's one thing to say that Jesus suffered, but it's another thing to say that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. By saying that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, what we're doing is we're saying that actually happened. It's a historical event, okay? And um, what... uh, Ray Kanata, in his book, uh, Rooted, he co-wrote with... uh, Josh Ritano, he says this, when you, when you affirm with the creed that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate is a reminder that the Christian faith is not only the expression of some feeling or experience that we've had, nor is the Christian faith a mere philosophy upon which we construct ethical principles. The Christian faith is about an act of God in history. So when we say that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, we're we're saying that Jesus suffered during the term of the rule of Pontius Pilate. We're saying that guy existed and the fact that Jesus suffered really, really happened. Now to be sure, Jesus did suffer under Pontius Pilate. He did suffer specifically, but it's not only Pontius Pilate under whom Jesus suffered. Jesus, uh, he was betrayed by Judas. The religious leaders uh, brought up some charges against Jesus for which they arrested him. He was put to death by the Roman executioners. And all the people, the crowd there, they are the ones who yelled, crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus suffered for sure. But Jesus didn't just suffer. He suffered to the utmost, right? Where do we see this in our text? And it comes to us by our looking at Jesus when he said, I thirst. Do you see that in our text? Jesus said, I thirst. He says that in verse 28. Now Jesus could here be saying, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. In fact, we see that the soldiers give him a jar full of sour wine. That's what the soldiers drank when they were thirsty. They gave it to him on a sponge from a hyssop branch. Um, This is different from the the wine that he was offered mixed with myrrh. There was a sedative. He refused that. But here we do see Jesus drinking. But is it just that Jesus is thirsty? I think there's more going on here to the text. Throughout the Old Testament, we see references to thirst as being being a, 
uh, a terminal spiritual predicament. When one is thirsty, they are experiencing an agonizing spiritual death. Jeremiah was just quoted to us. He says in chapter 2, he says of that book, he said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The idea of thirst is saying that if we try to fill the buckets of our souls with anything other than the living water of Jesus, we will shrivel up and die of thirst for our uh, Heavenly Father, God, right? So that's the idea, I believe, that's going on here in the text. Um, Also, we see that Jesus, this is the first time he says anything about needing something. You know, up until this point in the story, a lot has happened to Jesus, and he said nothing, right? He's been blindfolded and hit. He was scourged or flogged, whipped with straps with bones on the end uh, to draw the skin from his flesh. He was mocked, stripped of his clothes, dressed in a purple robe, put a crown of thorns around his head, and, and the people jeered him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And Jesus, he didn't say a thing. But here, Jesus says I thirst. In fact, scripture gives us a, a sense that there's more than him just being thirsty going on. It, we, uh, Kim read, to fulfill the scripture. I think there's something there that is referring back to, to something that is, is prophesied about this moment in history. And Jesus, I think he says, I thirst because he is thinking about passages in the Psalms, such as Psalm 69, where it said, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. I think he's thinking of passages in Psalm 22, where he says this, where David says this, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death. How do we know that Jesus was likely thinking Psalm 69 and Psalm 22? Because I think the very first verse of Psalm 22, you're familiar with this. Jesus, uh, David says there, and Jesus quotes it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something else that we hear Jesus say from the cross. So Jesus is crying out here about his thirst, but this thirst is more than just being thirsty. Jesus suffered to the utmost. Jesus suffered to the utmost. So what happened? He suffered to the utmost. Why? Why Why it happened? What do we believe happened by saying Jesus suffered, he was crucified, he was died in murder? What what's going on here with what we say? And uh, it, why did he suffer on the cross? And it wasn't just to be beaten for us, to be pierced for us. I think there's more going on. Jesus descended into hell. He did something that we could not do on earth. He experienced eternal spiritual death. He's separation from God. And how do we, uh, why do I say this? Because he says, it is finished. You see that in the text in verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Um, Jesus suffered, uh, why? To bring us back to God. He suffered to the utmost to bring us back to God. And we say that because he said, it is finished. This is a Greek word to telestai. 
And we've been singing about uh, this word tetelestai today because tetelestai was a commonly used term in the New Testament. It's a business term uh, used on documents to show that the bill had been paid in full. And what was the bill that had been paid in full? Well, we've been singing about today. He was wounded for our transgressions. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. For our guilt, he gave us peace. From our bondage, gave release. With his stripes, with his stripes, we are healed. We read in the Bible that there are none who are righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death and eternity of being thirsty. The wages of sin is death. It was not only Pilate, it was not only the Roman executioners, it was not only the crowd there, it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. But his wounds were not without effect. To tell us die. Jesus suffered the utmost to bring us back to God. Peter writes, For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 2 Corinthians says this, For our sake God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. This is known as the, the great exchange, that all my sin was laid on him, and all his righteousness is given and to us, credited to us, not because of how great we are, but because of how great God is through his son, how great that is, the great exchange. And it's how do we receive this? How is this exchange made? It's not based on anything we've done. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of our own works, not by anything we do so that we don't boast. Um, It's God's. It's God's gift to us. It is finished. It's done already. God has gone to the infinite measure to bring us back to God. So Jesus suffered to the utmost to bring us back to God. And um, how do we have this faith? And I kind of go back to how I started. I wrestle with saying it and believing it. Have you been in that boat before? Maybe some of us here have yet to profess faith. Um, Is this something that we can just muster up and cause to happen? I want to believe it. I want to believe it. I think that's partly how it works. I think there's more to it. And I, I think that it's that God gives us our faith. And I really appreciate um, in our bulletins how we have on page 12, you'll, you know, um, we have prayers offered here. for They're related to how we take the Lord's Supper. But um, I think this is something about we need to be bold to, to talk to God about, God, give me faith. We have prayers here for those who are searching for truth. I think this is a prayer for me today as I search for truth. And I even the prayer for belief, I, I place my faith and trust in God, but how can I pray this prayer of belief even today? So I invite you to look at these prayers here in your, in your time apart from now and think about how can this help me, encourage me in my faith of, of believing uh, that, that it is finished and how that affects my life. So what happened? Jesus suffered to the utmost. Why did it happen? So that God could bring us back to himself. Now, how does it affect our lives? It's the last thing. And um, it affects our lives in this way, that we might live in light of his love. Do you see this? 
Jesus suffered to the utmost to bring us back to God that we might live in light of his love. Why do I say this in the text? Where, where is this in the text? What's from some of the first things he says in verses uh, 25, um, he says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Listen to what Jesus said. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So the woman here is, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the disciple here is John. And what Jesus is doing, he's making provision for his mom, who's likely in her 40s or 50s. Uh, Joseph had likely died. She would be widowed. And um, it's not in that day and age, it was the responsibility of, of the family to take care of the elderly. Um, there were no nursing homes that they would they'd go to, to be taken care of there. And um, this was a big deal. And uh, it's something very unique that Jesus is asking of John here, the disciple. He's asking him, hey, this is now your mother. It's very unique in that um, Jesus had brothers. Jesus had brothers who would have been expected to take care of Mary. Um, we read about these brothers in John chapter 7. But we also read in John chapter 7 that these brothers did not believe in the gospel at that time. They would eventually after the resurrection. But they did not believe that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah. And so Jesus here is saying, Mary, this is your son. John, this is your mother. You take care of her. So that's something very, very unique that Jesus is asking uh, John to do. He's asking him to live in a particular way in light of the love that, God, that Jesus had for Jesus, that Jesus had for John, right? So what he's doing is he's placing um, big importance on family. I love how we had the, the prayer for, for the church here earlier and um, how this church is, is our family, in that, um, that we care for each other in, in, in here. Our relationships in this room run deeper than even our biologically, biological family relationships. You are my brother. You are my sister. You are my mother. You are my father. I think I want us to see that, that uh, God is asking, John, Jesus is asking John to live in a very particular way in light of his love. At the foot of the cross, we all enter into a new family together. And the reason I say that we have to live in light of the love that Jesus has, look how John refers to himself here in this passage. I think it's pretty interesting. In verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John is writing one of five times here about um, himself. Is John saying, I'm the favored son? <laughs> Jesus loved me? He didn't love anybody else? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the love of Jesus is who I am. And he is saying, uh, John Piper says it this way. He says, my most important identity is not my name but my being loved by Jesus, the Son of God. He's, John's not trying to rob anybody else of this privilege. He is simply exulting in it, saying, I am loved, I am loved, I am loved. That's who I am. 
I'm loved by Jesus. And Paul says this, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Piper says, I identify myself as being loved by Christ because this is the all-constraining, all-controlling reality in my life. This is why um, I'm writing the gospel, John would have said. This is why I minister, why I live. Christ's love for me controls me. John is telling us how God would have him to live in light of the love. The question I have for us is, how is God asking us to live in light of his love for us? Maybe he's asking us to think about this, this church here and how God has placed us in this body and how we look at each other as family. Maybe it's something more. How are we to live in light of the cross? And I've, I think that for me, and, and maybe you've experienced this, the cross is something that I am prone to forget. You wake up and, and it's not the first thing I think about. And I think about how am I going to make this day a success as opposed to seeing the cross for all it's worth and making the cross big in my life as opposed to shrinking the cross down. Um, it, it makes me think about raising kids and uh, even thinking about how I look at my own life, the idea of dependence versus independence. I want to be an independent person. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to make it. I don't want to have to rely on anyone else. I think that's the American way. Whereas I think the, the Christian way is that we need to learn to be more and more dependent. As I grow in my faith, I want to understand my desperate and crazy need of a Savior because of my great sinfulness. Not that I sin more and more, but that I recognize how sinful I really am. And I think when I fail to, to recognize my sinfulness, I shrink the cross. I make it so that I pretend that I'm better than I am. And I find my righteousness in other things that I should find my righteousness in. And sometimes as I think about my life in, in the faith, I, I forget how great God really is. And I, I don't grow in my uh, appreciation for how magnificent he is. Like Pat came back sharing from Colorado. God is, I'm overwhelmed by how magnificent he is. And I, and I fail to recognize him not only in the common graces he prayed about, but also in his special grace of how he, uh, his, his commandments are beautiful. And that I, and when I forget how great God is, I begin thinking that it's all about my performance, about what makes me right before God. And I think, hey, I'm better than that guy over there. At least I'm not doing that. And did you see what I did last? And I think I forget that it's not about what God has done, the, the good news of the gospel. I think it's about good advice for how to live my life. I, I think I'll do my best and let God do the rest rather than thinking God's done it all. So I'm going to do all in response to the, everything that he's done. So I wrestle with pretending and performing and... Um, and I want to grow in my belief and even more than that, trusting in those words that we say. And that's really what I want to have us think about today as we think about what Jesus has said here. 
and to have us think about what we say every week when we say Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, he was dead and buried. Would we be people who not just say that, because there is great beauty in that, but also believe that and trust that. And I think that the place we start is we start by praying and getting in a conversation with God to have him show us where is it that I can believe um, in my life to show of how I'm living in a very particular way because of how you've loved me through the cross.